now. We'll get to our political panel in studio in a moment, but first to the Israel-Gaza conflict, specifically the situation inside Gaza, because around 20 trucks carrying food, water and medical supplies were allowed to enter Gaza from Egypt earlier today. Israel had cut electricity, most water and stopped deliveries of food and medicine to Gaza following an attack by Hamas militants on the 7th of October that killed 1,400 people and saw 200 or so hostages being taken into the Gaza Strip. Since then, a blockade has been imposed and Gaza's 2.3 million residents have been rapidly running out of basic supplies. Well, just before I came on air, I spoke to RT's Paul Cunningham, who's reporting from Israel along with cameraman Owen Corcoran. And Paul Cunningham outlined what's known about the aid trucks that have been allowed into Gaza so far. We know it got there as a result of a deal brokered by the US President Joe Biden in concert with Israel and Egypt. The modalities of how it was going to operate have hindered it. Um, We expect today to go in yesterday, but it has actually finally arrived today. I think the fact that even if it's small, only 20 um, trucks going through, it is certainly a breakthrough because... The expectation has been, and it was stated explicitly by President Biden, that this would be a test run. The first 20 trucks would go in if they went to humanitarian authorities rather than being commandeered by Hamas. Well, then more would follow. So what we know today is that there's 20 trucks have gone in. Most of them um, contain um, medical supplies and some food, and they're going to be handed over to the Palestinian Red Crescent Society. Um, uh, But the big hope is that more will follow because according to the United Nations, Um, Gaza needs at least 100 trucks a day, at least 100 trucks a day to cross over. And I think one of the things which didn't cross the border today was fuel, uh, no fuel transportations. Now, obviously, we're on day one. It's just happening. But fuel is important because it is um, the thing which is going to keep the hospitals open. It is the thing which can be used to run desalinization plants, which means um, the 2.3 million people living in Gaza have got access to uh, to clean water. So fuel didn't cross the border, but hopefully that's something uh, which will travel tomorrow if it is the case that this is replicated again. All right, that's movement into Gaza. What about movement out of Gaza and what do we know about Palestinian Palestinians who carry passports from other countries, including Irish uh, citizens there? Yeah, I thought there was an interesting comment made by the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who was at the Rafah crossing. That's the place from Egypt into Gaza. It's the point where things travel through. And he said that, you know, getting aid up and running was important, but that should not be tied together with... um, Palestinians who've got um, foreign passports and been able to exit into Egypt. And it was interesting today that that's what happened. 20 trucks went across the border, but um, no people came out. Um, So we have to wait and see just exactly what that means because um, there's a a huge interest in it internationally, but also from a, a domestic point of view. The Department of Foreign Affairs issued a statement today and it said, at this time, there's no official confirmation from the relevant authorities that the Rafa crossing is open to allow citizens to cross from Gaza into Egypt. And it adds, we're in ongoing contact with Irish citizens in Gaza and keeping them informed of the latest information as it becomes available. And what about the release of hostages? Because there are around 200 hostages since that uh, attack that killed 1,400 people in Israel by Hamas on October 7th. Of those who have been kidnapped and brought as hostages into Gaza, how many of those have been released? We had some news on that today. 
Yeah, well, we had two bits of news, one good bit and one bad bit. The bad bit is that the Israeli Defence Forces have increased the um, confirmed number of hostages being held by Hamas um, in Gaza to 210. Now that's despite, and here's the good news, the release of two women um, yesterday evening. And that's been confirmed, two women, a mother and a daughter from the United States, and they were released. And um, what the hope was, um, because it had been brokered by Gatter, was that more um, hostages would be released. Um, Qatar is interesting because some of Hamas's leadership is is based in that country, so it seems to have uh, an access to important people in the Gaza Strip. We also knew that the Turkish Foreign Ministry was involved in a negotiation process as well. But good news, two people out, but the actual overall number has gone up. And that was Paul Cunningham speaking to us a little earlier from Tel Aviv. Well, Peter Power, Executive Director of UNICEF Ireland, joins me now on the line. Good afternoon to you, Peter Power. Good afternoon, Callum. You're just back from Jordan. Indeed, you were in Gaza shortly before um, the current Mm. blockade and uh, the attacks of October 7th. But just the situation in Gaza as the base level humanitarian situation in Gaza before this all began, what was it like then? Yes, I was there a number of weeks ago before the 7th of October. And even then, as is generally known throughout the world, there was already a dire uh, humanitarian situation there because of the very limited access to get materials in and out. The one thing that struck me when I was there column was just the incredible dependence of the entire population on the requirement to bring in on a very on a daily basis food water sanitation hygiene medical supplies and so forth and obviously there's been no supplies of those for two weeks as of today because it's two weeks since the attacks and and that has obviously exacerbated an already very very difficult situation so this is gaza is really unique in terms of humanitarian contexts because of that you know that 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 border all around us, which we thought was 100% secure, but obviously not. But there has been no food or supplies getting in for two weeks, and that's exacerbated the situation I saw. And the head of UNRWA, that's the UN agency that looks after Palestinian refugees that runs many of the medical facilities and indeed the schools inside of Gaza. The head of that, Pierre Lazzarini, said that around 500 trucks a day of aid were going into Gaza to meet their needs before all of this happened. So why are we talking in terms of 20 trucks, 100 trucks at the moment when the need was already 500 trucks before this? Uh, that, yeah, I saw those trucks when, when I was there, like a huge amount of them. Uh, and we're talking about you know, about half the population of Ireland. So 20 is, to use y- your word at the top of the programme, call it literally just a trickle. But uh, as you know, there's been very high level discussions between Israel, the US, UN, United Nations agencies have been involved in that. And this is to get an initial, we had some trucks get into this morning, but this is just an, an initial uh, entry point to just establish uh, stability, to establish uh, the uh, almost proof of concept to show that, yes, aid can get in. It can be de- delivered via UN agencies to trusted partners, that it will get to those who are needed. A lot of credibility needs to be developed here. And it is, of course, extremely sensitive, but right. it is just ethical. 
But Rafa, just to be clear, the Rafa crossing into Gaza is one of the most limited crossings, if not the most limited one. It's one lane in and one lane out. Mm. Would it be a better way to satisfy Israeli security concerns and the aid needs of those inside Gaza to use the Karem Shalom crossing in southern Israel, which was specifically set up to have widespread customs infrastructure and let a higher volume of goods and supplies into Gaza? Yes, it's, it may be any crossing. I came in on the northern crossing. I mean, any crossing uh, to get in aid is uh, is welcome, any crossing that's open. But obviously, uh, the high-level diplomatic focus has been uh, on the, the Rafa crossing. And we, we have very substantial, as does the WFP, the World Food Programme, uh, the World Health Organization. We have very substantial supplies now at the Rafa crossing and more to be flown in. So I think it's, it's better than the crossing that isn't open. Open, if I can put it like that. Sure. And the idea is to establish stability and continuity because they, once that is established, uh, you know, my experience is that much more will get through. But this is just a trickle. Let's be under no illusion. We got in some water and medical supplies today uh, and, uh, and some chemicals for the desalinization plant, uh, uh, which uh, uh, Paul mentioned earlier on. That's very, very important to get that plant up and running to supply water from inside gas itself, because water really is critical. You were talking about life and death situations, given the lack of access to water. We estimate about three litres of water per day is available to people on the ground now, where it should be about 15, even more litres per day. So water uh, is an absolute vital component of this humanitarian mission. All right. And as Paul was saying, fuel both to uh, deal with sewage and also um, the the desalination issue as well. I just want to take it from, I suppose, the higher level issues down to your colleagues in UNICEF who are still in Gaza, the people with whom you spent time in your last visit six weeks ago. What have you heard from them, both in terms of their humanitarian work and also their personal family lives? Well, uh, uh, two things I would say in terms of their personal family lives. One, one colleague describes uh, having to move into uh, an apartment 500 square feet with 17 people, no access to potable uh, water, no access to, uh, to to toilets, no access to sanitation or hygiene with the terrible consequences that can flow with that. That's just one colleague. We have a substantial presence there. Uh, the other thing I would say is that they're very determined to stay and deliver on their mandate, on their mission, and they're actively preparing to distribute the aid coming across the border now. They're doing a lot of advanced planning over the last week or so with our trusted partners on the ground to ensure that the aid that does come in is given to those who need it most. Because obviously there's a real credibility issue about the access to aid. That's been the real sticking point in the high-level diplomatic discussions. So they're very much focused on ensuring that the supply chain, it's not just a question of just getting the trucks over the border column. It's a question of having a secure, stable supply chain then through various implementing partners, civil society organizations on the ground to actually deliver it into the hands of people. So they're that's what our people are, are doing on the ground. That's the situation as they as as they experience. Right. And, and you're, you're confident that there is a verifiable chain of hands through which that will go to make sure those that need it most will get it, and it won't wind up in the hands as I think the US, Egypt, and and yes. Israel seem to be concerned about that it would wind up mm. in the hands of militants, particularly when fuel, if fuel comes on stream. 
Well, from from what I saw on the ground myself, Colm, I, I could I would say I would be very confident. The reason being is that UNICEF and the WHO, WFP, other agencies have built up very trusted relationships with people on the ground. These are humanitarian activists. They are civil society organizations, very solely concerned with the well-being of people. So we've built up those relationships. We, we have relationships of trust with them, uh, and we are confident that the people that they serve on a daily basis up to this terrible a crisis that they will use the aid uh, which we and other agencies bring in they will use that for the purposes for which they are intended and that's for people that are vitally needed so so for example we got in say, a substantial amount of water today i mean water is is for one purpose only to give to people uh, who needed medical supplies fuel those chemicals i mentioned they can only be used for one thing and that's to help that desalinization plant which I saw when I visited, get that up and running again. All these things are pure humanitarian aid and I would be confident they get to those people. And from the point of view of UNICEF, what's the most meaningful role that EU governments could play in the coming days, weeks and possibly even months to ensure that the humanitarian situation is alleviated inside Gaza? The one thing that the European Union uh, can do, and the Irish government has taken a very principled stand here, is to ensure that that crossing that is uh, barely working at the moment, that that gets established in a stable, what we're calling a stable and continuous way, so that on a daily basis, very large amounts of humanitarian aid, which are available on the Egyptian side, that that gets in and that that crossing remains open on a continuous uh, and uh, stable basis so that the drivers of those trucks know that they will be safe, so that the, the people who are loading and unloading those trucks, those people know that they will be safe in a stable environment. And the European Union, working with uh, the UN, with agencies and with Egypt, who plays an incredibly important role here, uh, that, that, that that border crossing stays open. That's the absolute sole focus uh, in the coming days and weeks. All right, uh, Peter Power, Executive Director with UNICEF Ireland. Thanks very much for joining us on the line there. Now, let me introduce you to our political panel joining us this week. They are Minister Catherine Martin, Minister for Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht and Sport. She's joining us uh, from Cork. Pader Tobin, Aintu Leader and TD for Meath West and Paul Murphy, People Before Profit TD for Dublin South West. Catherine Martin, can I start with you first of all? The Irish citizens who are in Gaza, there seems to be an issue with them leaving through the Rafa crossing if they want to leave through the Rafa crossing. What 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 is being done actively to help those who want to leave to leave? Uh, thank you, Colm. If I, if I could just take a, a moment, actually, first, just to, to commend, just listening to, to Peter there, the incredible work of his colleagues um, doing that humanitarian work in, in those horrific conditions, but still with that in, amazing determination to to remain and to assist and most importantly I suppose to to ensure that aid is given to those who need it um, and, and and also to, to say you know that, that those brutal attacks uh, two weeks ago on Israeli uh, c- civilians by mass um, together with their torture and kidnapping were absolutely horrific and wrong utterly wrong um, but what we what we don't want is a collective punishment um, under any circumstances. You know, while Israel has that right under international law to defend itself, um, 
the collective punishment is is not something that should be tolerated and, and you know it's it's not self defense to 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 cut off water supplies it's not self defense uh, to, to to cut off electricity um and that that is collective punishment and a flagrant breach of international law which could lead to large scale loss of civilian lives and and that's why there there must be that Im- immediate uh, humanitarian ceasefire the release of all hostages um, and th- that you know that access to water electricity and uh, and as has been said there uh, that that corridor of of aid you know tw- 20 trucks while really welcome today is a step in the right direction that it's open um, it's a, a drop in the ocean, as, as Mike Ryan from Dolia Joe said yesterday. All so right. it, it does need to be stable and continuous. Um, but just back to the, the question Irish about the Irish citizens. citizens yeah. in Gaza, um, I, I, I believe there are around 35 to 40 people, um, I've been told, with citizenship or co-citizenship, um, plus their dependents. So I, I suppose that the, the key there in terms of Irish citizens coming out of Gaza uh, was firstly that opening of the, the Rafa crossing. Um, and, and and that's why we were pushing for the acceleration of that. So it's a first step that those trucks have got through. And just to say, I, I've been informed our embassies have accounted for in terms of of of, of all those um, th- th- those with citizenship or co-citizenship of registering with them and um, and maintaining contact with them and have been liaising with the authorities in respect of endeavouring to get them out. But I think the key was getting that, that border open, uh, as you heard from previous contributors there, um, and then uh, and then looking to get to, to, to secure a safe right. passage I, I, You could understand maybe why somebody who has Irish citizenship and is Palestinian might be also reluctant to leave family members behind if they don't have Irish citizenship. So will the Irish efforts include families getting out where one member is is an Irish citizen. Will they also be looking for family members to be able to uh, exit if they want to? Well, I, I know there. As I said earlier, it's it's thirty five to forty people, but 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 plus their dependents. Um, so I, I I think all are registered, um, are accounted for with with the embassies and the you know the the Tatanisha is is keeping abreast of all of that. All right. You, you mentioned that you recognise Israel's right to self defence and that it should act proportionately. What does that look like in the estimation of of the Irish government? Because obviously Gaza is a very heavily populated area. If you recognise Israel's right to take military action in that field, what kind of military action would you view is allowable in that situation? Well, as I said, you know, it's not self-defence and cannot be called self-defence to cut off water and electricity to the whole civilian population. Um, that is collective punishment. Sure, but and the military action in pursuit of those that perpetrated the 7th of October attacks, you view that as legitimate, do you? And if so, what would you see that as, uh, what form would you see that taking? No, what I'm, I'm saying is that collective punishment is a flagrant breach of international law. And we'll, I know, we'll, but you also said that Israel has a right to defend itself. So in doing so, that suggests military action. What military action do you think is allowable in a situation where Israel pursues the people who per- perpetrated the October 7th attacks? Well, I... There, there are rules of, of war and, the, and I believe that they are not um, being adhered to at the moment and, and, and slaughter of innocent people under any flag, under any name, for any cause is wrong. 
and 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 can't can never be justified. Even war have rules, and to to to, to the the way the civilians are being treated at, at the moment, it will lead to large scale loss of civilian lives, and that is something that simply cannot be tolerated. And I, I, I think what, you know, there are no solutions in, in, in vengeance. And I tell you, we, we know only too well in this country um, that it's the silencing of guns and the silencing of bombs that is needed if there is to be any ch- chance for peace. So I think that the focus needs to be on um, what we have learned here in this country and is what is needed there is dialogue. And dialogue is, you know, cannot take place when innocent people are being slaughtered. You know, Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley found a way and, and saved many, many lives on this island by finding that way. Right. So we must exhaust every avenue in the, the pursuit of finding a, 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 a space for dialogue. Father Tobin, uh, uh, Catherine Martin, they're drawing parallels with what was used to achieve peace on the island of Ireland, perhaps providing some answers in this situation. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I actually, one of the lines that I think of in history uh, when I see the uh, Israeli bombardment of Gaza is the Podrick Pierce statement, the fools, the fools, they give us our Fenian dead. Because what's act- actually happening, every time a bomb lands on citizens in Gaza, it has the effect of radicalising uh, the people who are left behind. Uh, and, you know, for every time they do this, they're, they're simply creating hate and fear against the Israeli state. Uh, and actually, there's a, there's a strategic problem with, with Israel's uh, bombing, as well as a humanitarian problem, is that Israel was very close to actually building bridges with a lot of uh, Arab states around it. Uh, and, you know, the, the level of ferocity, the disproportionate ferocity that's happening at the moment, you know, 4,100 citizens half of them children right. who have been killed. That is going to uh, 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 create a great hatred right through those sure, Arab but, states that they're also looking but, but to build Israel, relationships But if Israel with. is expected to negotiate with Hamas, and let's, you know, let's face the facts of it, while they may not have spoken directly to them, using Egyptian intelligence and the Qataris, there was a process in place whereby Israel did communicate with Hamas and did facilitate, for example, Qatar going in with bags of cash every so often when there was upsurges of violence. But a spokesperson for Hamas told the Reuters news agency explicitly that it had lulled Israel into a false sense of security during the time of those back channels uh, in order to plan for this attack. Now, how is Israel supposed to accept that it's negotiating with anyone in good faith if we have people explicitly saying negotiations are being used to lull people into a false sense of security? Well, first of all, what Hamas did uh, in relation to Israel was absolutely wrong on, on October 7th. It was, it was horrendous. Um, but I would make the point in that the, the best weapon against terrorism or violence is actually justice. So, you know, for, for Israel actually to seek justice in that area for both states, for both for Israel to work with the Palestinian Authority first and foremost on the West Bank would be the first step towards actually starting to, to work at a system where there is justice. Because as long as there is injustice in that space, you're going to have a situation where people will be radicalised into Hamas uh, attacks. And, you know, while obviously Israel is nowhere near ever, you know, I can't see Israel discussing or negotiating with with Hamas in, in the, even this, the short to mid-term uh, period, I do think they have a responsibility to talk to at least uh, the authority uh, in the West Bank to see can they start to get to some level of justice uh, in relation to that. Right. And that would be a step forward in, in pulling the energy and the fear and the anger out of right. uh, this conflict. Just on that point, Paul Murphy, the, the ability to negotiate in good faith on either side, but, you know, the Hamas... 
has little trust in the Israelis. The Israelis now have little trust in Hamas. What's the basis for negotiations, first and foremost, if this is to be, if any progress is to be made without resource, uh, further recourse to military action? Well, I think at the moment you have a very right-wing Israeli regime. It has moved further and further right. Um, it supports the kind of killings we saw before October 7th in the West Bank by Israeli settlers, about 150 people in the West Bank already. So they've pursued a consciously conscious policy of ethnic cleansing right. you, you and also, of apartheid. You also have Hamas, which violently overthrew Fatah threw people off the tops of buildings which is no respecter of human rights Human Rights Watch which has drawn its own conclusions about Israel as indeed has described Israel as an apartheid state yep. has also had some very harsh words to say about Hamas its repression of journalists its repression of sexual minorities and others Sure I'm not a supporter of uh, Hamas clearly um, but I reject any notion that the cause of the current conflict, the cur- cause of the current attempted starvation of the people of Gaza, the cause of more bombs being dropped in the last two weeks on Gaza than were dropped in an entire year on Afghanistan, over 4,000 people killed, that the cause of that is Hamas. The cause of this is Israeli occupation, Israeli apartheid, Israeli ethnic cleansing. Right, and, sure, and the answer I, I the, is, the, is, is to bring that to an I, end. I, that I, is I, the only... And the question is, where does the good faith exist for negotiations when Hamas by its own admission says it lulled Israel into a false sense of security and Hamas, uh, you know, the people of Gaza probably have no trust when up to 4,000 people have been killed in the latest round of bombardment and further casualties in previous rounds. I think it will take an uprising of people in the region, ordinary people, in order to be able to ultimately achieve justice for the Palestinian people. That's that's the truth. Well, would um, elections be a better start than that? The, the Palestinians haven't had... The Palestinian Authority has not seen fit to hold elections absolutely. since the mid-2000s. So rather than an uprising exposing people to the repressive security measures that might follow from that, wouldn't it be better if... if in the first instance, elections were held. Fine, I'm in favour of elections. The reason the PA won't hold the elections is because they're afraid that Hamas will win the elections. Let's let's be honest, that's that's the truth of it. And the PA, in reality, acts as a kind of outsourced policeman for the Israeli state. They're the ones who are doing the arresting of those involved in the general strike and the protests in the West Bank right now. In particular, I think the global anti-war movement, the global Palestine solidarity movement has a very important role to play. I mean, Israel would not be able to carry on in the way that it carries on without the support of the Western powers. They receive $4 billion a year in military aid from the US. Joe Biden gave a green light for what is happening now, as did Ursula von der Leyen. So I think Ireland needs to explicitly say what is happening in terms of Israel is our our crimes, our war crimes, but also we should be expelling the Israeli ambassador and sending a signal that certainly we well, it, do not go along with this. But you've just talked about the need to open channels for dialogue. Is expelling the Israeli ambassador any way to proceed in that regard? I think it would send a clear signal that we do not back the von der Leyen policy, for example. Von der Leyen went to Israel, said Israel has the right to defend itself, didn't even add the conditions that the okay. Irish government adds, which is a green light right. for bombing hospitals, for killing over 4,000 people and for starving children in Gaza. All right. Um, Catherine Martin, what is being done by Ireland inside of the European Union 
in order to achieve some progress on this. Paul Murphy is critical there of the European Union on the whole in, in, uh, in its attitude towards Israel before this round of the conflict broke out. But what's Ireland doing through the European Union to at least have a credible, coherent, unified voice, which we don't seem to have had so far? Um, well, on, I suppose EU foreign ministers will, will meet on, on Monday in Luxembourg, or the Connish will be there to, to discuss how the EU can best contribute to a de-escalation. That is uh, is key, is the first step that's needed, is that de-escalation and, sh- and, and, res- and to urge restraint and ensure that that urgent humanitarian aid uh, c- continues to get to those who need it, to the Palestinian civilians um, who are in desperate need of it in Gaza. Um, and the, I suppose the EU has been clear that international humanitarian law applies in all circumstances. Um, and, you know, the the... the the government has announced that immediate package of Irish funding of 13 million euro to support the Palestinian people, and um, and, and and as I said, that that meeting will will be key ne- next next right. Monday. And do you, do you expect the position of Ursula von der Leyen to be discussed at that meeting? Because it's, she has been regarded as acting beyond her mandate. The uh, issue of EU foreign policy is not within her remit. That's up to the European Council to determine. And yet she went on what was perceived to be a solo run that a number of governments, Ireland, Luxembourg and Spain included, were not happy with. Yeah, the, I think the, the the Irish government has been fairly consistent on this. Uh, there was definitely a sense that 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 both her and some of her commissioners' uh, initial comments uh, definitely certainly lacked balance. Um, and whilst there was an understandable, you know, condemnation of the of the massacre on October seventh, uh, there was there was no call for restraint in Israel's re- re- response. Now, in, in fairness to her, the, the statements that she's made more recently uh, were, were more balanced and did announce that tripling of humanitarian aid for, for Gaza uh, and also efforts to organise a, a UN humanitarian airbridge um, to, from, from Gaza to, through, through, through Egypt. And I think if you look at the European Council's most, most recent statement, it also outlined that um, importance to ensure the protection all right. of all civilians. So, as I said, I, I think it's just exhausting all... Um, levels here to, to to get to that humanitarian ceasefire to make sure that hostages, all hostages released, that, that, that the supplies and water electricity are guaranteed um, and and then get into space where you, a okay. safe space for that dialogue that is key. Alright, we'll give you the last word on that, on that issue. We're back to look at flooding uh, in Cork and indeed beyond next.